Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? And I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. The Wicked Picket, kicking things off. EJ, how you been? You know, I've been doing really great. Pretty excited about opportunities that we have in the community to make a difference and make a change. And I'm I'm really excited because I get a chance to see you. And a year ago, you said you were going to go out on street patrol with me. And I'm I so glad that I'm I got you. I'm glad I didn't. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> but now I'll do it. Okay. Well, I'm ready for you to do it. Wow. Yeah. Everything's going wrong. Oh, what happened? I just sneezed and my headphones fell off. <laughs> BJ, welcome to the family. Welcome to the professional to the circus. It's, it's a family affair. <laughs> and that's what we do best is work with family, so we're excited. Well, let me say this, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody who's a, you know, a long-time listener to the show knows that I, I grew up in North Minneapolis. I love North Minneapolis. Catherine and I live right on the border between where she grew up and where I grew up. The house is right in the middle of that. And I still spend a lot of time. Yeah, they were kind of different neighborhoods. (laughs) Western Golden Valley and North Minneapolis, a little bit different. It all works out. But I do. I talk all the time about how much I love North Minneapolis, love the people in North Minneapolis. And and, uh, so, yeah, I would love to go out. The timing. So what what happened here just recently? It's an odd deal. Yeah, it it was an odd deal. And I think that... um, 
you know, many times people make mistakes in their lives and do some things yep. that they shouldn't do, and they work for organizations and companies that uh, have to deal with that. Uh, unfortunately, though, this happened when they weren't on the clock, they weren't working, Good. And, Good. and somebody decided that it should be public, but uh, it shouldn't have went public at all. It was a, no, it I was, agree with that. And, and so um, we, 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 we pride ourselves on helping people that no one else wants to help. Mm-hmm. That no one else wants to give a chance, you know, and, and, and many times it saves their lives. One of those gentlemen, when we met him, we were sleeping in his car. And he, he was going to make a decision between robbing people or maybe taking his own life. And so uh-huh. we, we gave him hope and support. And so he worked for two years with us and did well, and, and something happened. Another yeah. gentleman yep. was on high-intensive probation. He had been with us for five months, and we were... We were concerned about his, you know, what was going on with him. Also, was his probation officer, and so, uh, but we believed in giving people a chance. Well, I'll tell you something, VJ. About five years ago, I'm on the air. I'm live on the air, KQRS. Uh, are you gonna settle in, Alex? At can't, all, this or? microphone is just not. Why don't you use a stand microphone? You're a disaster. It's just not. There you we're go. Be, uh, well, I think we're gonna be replacing the lavaliers <laughs> yeah. very... in the coming Well, and future. it's like if you touch the cord, it. Causes You'll problems. Be getting the mic. Anyway, so uh, I go on the air, and the all-night guy's standing right behind me. And the first story that comes up, because I don't pre-read any news at all. When it comes up, I want to read it fresh and have a real reaction to it, right? right. So I'm reading a story about a guy who has been uh, uh, threatening to expose women because he has naked pictures of them. And he, he is uh, about to be arrested. As soon as they find the guy, he's going to get arrested. And it's just, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to basically hold people up for money yeah. by saying, I got pictures of your wife naked and blah, 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 blah. So as I'm reading it, the picture of the guy comes up. It's the guy standing right behind me. I'm not kidding. What? Wow. Oh. It was unbelievable. Why? You didn't know about that? No. Yeah, it ha- he's standing right behind me. It's like, well, gosh, I, uh, gee. <laughs> and uh, they came and arrested him. Uh, right then, huh. so it happens. I understand exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely, it was like that story Moon told, where he, his yeah. first job in the radio was 18, and he got he was like selling pot in Nebraska, and he there was a warrant out for his arrest. So the copywriter wrote the story, and he goes, in a related story, and they won't tell you what his actual name is. Um, warrant out for his arrest, and this is. Reporting. Uh, the no, owner God. of the station drove right down and fired him. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and it was arrested, nice. too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. And he got arrested, that too. That don't happen. So, VJ, so, there's nothing new. <laughs> right. Um, when you, and that's one another thing that people need to understand is when you do reach out and try to help people, mm-hmm. some people cannot help themselves. Or they at this particular moment, they can't help themselves. So anybody making that, that that call that it's so mad dads is off the rails and blah, it's, that's not the situation at all. How long have you been doing it now? Did We've been doing it 20 years. We started in uh, October the 3rd of 1998, and we're really excited. We, we came from just being a, a local organization to eventually having a chapter that was so amazing that we became the national headquarters for chapters across the country in wow. Jacksonville, Florida, Buffalo, New York, Iowa, and other states. And so we're, we're a model for other states, and I think we're very proud to have that happen. I want to say that uh, our mayor, our chief of police, and, and county commissioners and other uh, leaders in the community, uh, I received phone calls from numerous people just saying, you have our support. 
Good. We, we believe in you, and we believe that the work that you do is important. And and uh, we we realize that uh, you know we're always going to have problems. We're going to have to change a few of our policies in terms of who we bring on now because of this situation, just for certain individuals and certain things, because we, we we can't continue to have this happen. And we have to make sure that people are sincere about this work. So, uh, but the unfortunate piece is, is when you don't have enough funding to hire people and have them work eight hours a day, mm-hmm. and you ask them to work part time, then that leaves room for them to do other things. But but you do have to make a decision, and some people say, well, you know what? I worked part-time, and I still never stole anything. I still never sold drugs. But some people come from that background, and yeah. it's just so tempting. So we, we also have to figure out how to get people on the payroll full-time, how to give them benefits, how to give them all the stuff that they need so they can be successful. So are you a mentoring program, or what do you we're a little bit of everything. So, okay. so you know, we'll bring a person from the streets in or from uh, being incarcerated, and then we will teach them how to give back. Okay. A lot of times people, uh, I go to the jails on a weekly basis, and I go to the juvenile jails on a weekly basis, and, and, and they never know the message of what it takes to be a real man. You know, okay. some, yeah, like some, some men grow up being, and we call it the theory, is a chicken or eagle. So some men run around being chickens all their lives until somebody tells them what an eagle is really like. And we teach them that an eagle is something that is very proud and very distinguished and, and very uh, responsible for what goes on into the community. And so when we see a 30 or 40 year old man say, man, no man has ever poured into me like that. And we're able to say, well, what's next? When you get out, here's what's next. You come to me. I get you trained. I show you how to give back, and and um, you know, ninety nine percent maybe on that rate, do well. Really, it's that's that, astounding. It's that, it's that one percent that, you know, you just well, you they have a mindset. Yeah. Man, you're you doing know. better than the Catholic Church. You're doing better than anybody. <laughs> My wife's Catholic, so I can say that. Well, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, it's it's important though because. Uh, when I was just having a conversation with a lady at the front desk, and she was saying, we got to forget about the past so we can move on in the future when it comes to race relations and race and, and the, you know, the history of slavery and all that. And, and I told her, that's kind of impossible. If you don't know your history, how can you move on to the future? Right. You, you don't know your history. And I, I remember in school, I was just taught about Columbus. I was just taught about all that stuff, and I never was taught about my own history. Mm-hmm. And now I'm learning, and it's which is which is, uh, and thanks to uh, DNA, I've even met some of my brothers and sisters that I never met. So you never met them. Yeah. That's so amazing. so so you know, uh, I, I lived 50 years without my uh, mom, my biological mom, and she showed up in my life three years ago. Oh she's my now, God. She's now 86. And so, you know, my mom is telling me stuff that I never knew, never heard, wow. you know, and just found out the reason why I have cataracts is because of her. And the reason why, <laughs> you know, now you know who to blame. Yeah, <laughs> the reason why my knees the hurt mother. is because well, hers hurt. She's moving around at 86, though, so yeah. you got that going for yeah. you. She's still moving around. And, and uh, I think it's important that the history is so critical and so important. And, and I believe yeah. that we have to know that. And I think a lot of people want us to forget about it, but we haven't caught up, and we do have to catch up, and things have gotten better. And, you know, I mean, look at me now. I'm sitting at a table with a bunch of white folks. I feel good, right? <laughs> it's a family. Not, and Andy's I, not really is. white. He's passing. He's <laughs> passing. <laughs> so, I'm very passing. So, so, you know, I think that that's critical stuff, and I think that uh, a lot of our men still need help. Not, the reason why I go into the jail for free is because I realize they have a lot of Bible studies, 
and but I wanted to give them study how to study to be a man. How do you do that? And then so I, I appreciate all the ministers and preachers that go in, and I'm a minister too. But I wanted to teach them how to be men. They don't know how to do that, and they're they're a little humble about it. They're afraid to say that. They're like nobody's really taught me. People mm-hmm. taught me how to steal. People taught me how to rob. Right. People taught me how to sell drugs. But there was never that man there to teach me what it means to be free and responsible. And that's, so that's that's, that's been my goal. Really great. Should be everybody's goal, and yet and other people. And, 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 and as a white guy in America today, I wish that that certain white people would back off and stop pretending they're experts on this. Oh, I know what they should do, and I. People, we we just talked to a bunch of friends. As a matter of fact, we had a bunch of people over on uh, on Sunday for dinner. Are you familiar with Boulder Options? Yes, yes, uh, yes. Thompson. That's my buddy, Daryl. My buddy. Darryl, yeah, yeah he was over on Sunday. Yeah, Darryl came yeah. Over. Oh, he's a good man. Bunch yes, of good people. he's a very good guy. Uh, and we were just talking. We had 25 people at our house. Pretty much, you know, what half women, half men. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, about I guess 20, 30 percent of, of the people there were black. Everybody got along phenomenally. Had never met one another. And nobody yeah. broke anything for a change. Well, I was so proud. Really, really <laughs> for but, once. But we were talking about the fact. <laughs> Nothing was broken. And that's just one thing we should have probably mad dads for white people, too. Because they mm-hmm. do not understand treating, treating someone worse or better because of their skin color is racist. They yes. don't get that. They, oh, if I treat them better, then I, no. You, you think the only way VJ can get through is if Tom helps you. Well, that's wrong. 100% wrong. That is a little condescending. It is. Yeah, don't you yeah. think? Just a bit. But that's what they think. They, they think, that, oh, yeah. That Look, the fact that you showed up today is great because people will learn that everyone can get along. We, we were, I, I told everybody after the dinner, I kind of gathered around, and as, as they were leaving, I said, do me a favor and please go out and tell everybody how this went. Everybody got along. It was a wonderful time. We were laughing about everything. And I won't use the man's name, but you'd know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so he said, he told me one time when, when his, his son was a professional athlete, he said, I'll never forget this, man. You, the, the day he was drafted, you said, oh, great, another big, slow white guy. He goes, white? Not white. I said, so I called him the next day, and his, he answers me and goes, hello. And he goes, is this a big, slow white guy? And he goes, no, this is a black daddy. <laughs> it's having fun like that. We can deal with all right. of this, all these calls. Catherine came from, from Golden Valley. Mm-hmm. I came from North Minneapolis. I was around a lot of people when I first came out of the neighborhood, like, what the hell is your deal? Because of the way I am, you right. know? There are still people in the television and newspaper business that don't like me because I'm so urban, you know? And right. that's not to say black, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying I'm black. It's an urban thing. And they don't like that. You know, they pretend, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. But it's... The second they can take it, I suppose because I am white, they think they can take shots at me and call me out, which is fine. Good. And, you know, one of the things I want to say, too, is that a lot of the media outlets, uh, when this happened, called me and said, why don't you just call me when something good's happened? I don't even want to deal with this. Good. And I thought that was very, wow. very, I appreciated that, you know, because I think that's important. There's a lot of great things that go on in North Minneapolis. Yeah. And we're constantly telling the kids, you know, they say, well, how come the news is not here? We got 300 black kids doing great things, teenagers, and nobody's here to cover it. And I say, you know, it's something that we have to change the narrative. Sometimes we have to be our own media outlet. And sometimes we just post it on Facebook, do whatever we can to right. let the community know that we are doing good things. And we know when it you bleeds, are, it when it bleeds, it leads. Okay, so what? But also when it's blessed, it's the best. 
Like That's that. a minister talking right there. Yeah. Really. <laughs> That's a minister talking right Now, VJ, I would love to go out with you guys. Uh, and and it just walk, you, basically, you kind of spend some time walking around the community. You go to different places. You go to, what I'd like to do, if we could possibly do it, is get everybody together. And we can go on tour of the 43 houses I lived in in North Minneapolis. What do you think? Okay. Right. Just we cover let's, every block, man. Let's, let's do it and let's reach out to all those houses and make a difference. Because I'm sure there's some people that need somebody to reach out to them. And I think that would be yeah. great. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we do, uh, we ride the buses to keep them safe. We've been doing that for almost 15 years now. And we, we invented that. We invented that ability called the Peace Bus. And we found out that crime was, was rising. People were afraid. Some of the buses go through the gang territories. And people right, were right. afraid to do that. And so uh, we got a partnership with Metro Transit. And we said, we think we can really help out. We reduced crime that first year, 38%. Yeah, of, wow. And nobody has ever been shot, stabbed, or beat down while we were on the bus. Because simply, we intervene. We make things better. We can see when something's getting hot. We can see when somebody's beginning to approach them in a negative way and calm that down because we understand what it's like. The other piece we found out that people ride the bus just like they ride the train when they're angry, frustrated, and upset. (laughs) Right? So they say, you know what? Well, get get the hell out of here. And you say, I sure will. And I'll get on the bus with that heat and with that Mm. energy and that negativity. And you need somebody to come to you and say, you know what? It's going to be okay. What are you looking for? A job? Are you looking for housing? Are you looking for treatment? Here's some things that can help you. That's why you can reduce the crime. It's not because you stand there and say, you're not going to do anything while we're here. No. Right. We right. stand there and we have compassion because we've been there. That's the difference from hiring somebody to um, to do a job because they have a master's degree, but hire them because they know how to deal with the people that they serve. And so yep. sometimes you have to take a chance because you have to go through something. You know, I come out of organized crime in Kansas City. That's what I came out of. I was, I was brought into it. The people around me told me I'd be good at it. And so nobody told me to go to college. Nobody told me to go to a trade school. They told right. me to be involved in guns, gangs, and drugs. And it was until I went on the run and, and, and I, you know, joined a church and changed my life around and seen that I could change people's lives. It was changing a whole neighborhood in Oklahoma City and and going to the bus stop and realizing and coming back to Minnesota on the Greyhound bus and realizing when that whole all those families came with gifts and presents and say, thank you. I said, wow, this I'm supposed to be a hope dealer. That's when I found out. <laughs> Not a dope dealer? Yeah. That sounds like Muhammad Ali now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I went from being a minister to Muhammad Ali. Okay. But... That's I'm not I, a dope dealer. I'm a hope dealer. Oh, but that's when I found out. Oh, yeah. We'll take a very quick break. Okay. Sorry. We'll be right back. Okay. Just a couple minutes more with VJ. VJ, you're doing a hell of a job. Thank you, you sir. Are. Thank you. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. 
I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? <laughs> Real nice. Chuck Knobloch. <laughs> Chuck Knobloch. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Why are you reminding me that she's dead? Way to go. I'm sorry. It's Aretha. I hate that. I loved Aretha. You know, the tribute is going to be tomorrow night at Crooners. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, my brother works there, as a matter of fact. Are my you brother, coming? My brother, Troy. Tomorrow night? No, oh, no, I'm going to be in Red Wing. Taking my auntie. I'm going to be out of time. Oh, you are? Yeah. Yeah, it'll oh, be fun. a good time. That'll be a good time. Um, we're talking to BJ's now. We're talking about Mad Dads. Mad Dads is a great organization. Uh, what, you know, you, you brought this up. Oh, I should mention one thing. How smart BJ is, because I got here. And I'm sitting down in my usual chair for people who aren't watching this on YouTube or whatever. This is how smart VJ is. He's not sitting by me. He's sitting between Catherine and Alex. <laughs> Good move, VJ. <laughs> what? I don't get it. I don't get it either. Well, you want to sit by decent people, not by uh, me. Oh, man, you get it. Like, <laughs> uh, yes, okay. yes, yes. So great people yeah. to sit by, that's for sure. <laughs> we, so you grew up in Kansas City? I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. I was... Uh, Separated from my family at nine years old. I was in foster homes most of the time. And and then uh, I was recruited into organized crime. And where uh, I did that for many years. At and what then, age? Uh, well, right after high school. So they allowed me to graduate from high school. And then, you know, I was off to the, off to the races. And I did that for many years. And then um, I got into a little deeper trouble than I should have. So I left Kansas City and... And I came to Minnesota, and, and then in Minnesota, I, I uh, attempted to try to go on the right track, but uh, because of so much skills that I had, uh, people were kind of interested. Like, hey, you know how to do that? And I got right back into it. Oh, yeah. And then um, I lived that lifestyle for a while, and I was actually uh, one of the DJs on KMLJ, a VJ to DJ, Late Night Love. And so I would do Late Night Show, and in 1987, I ended up going on the run because... Uh, I couldn't live both lives, and so there was a lot of stuff going on. But I came back after after that stint. I came back and decided that I wanted to be on the streets, giving back to the community at whatever cost. Which is great. And and I worked for Northwest Airline for a while. Then I worked for Archie Givens, which is one of the yeah. one of the first African Americans to own property in Minnetonka and Eden Prairie and all those places. His dad and I worked for him. And while I was doing that, working for him. I started Mad Dads, and so for five years I worked for him, and then on the weekends and nights I worked the streets. Oh, you founded the organization? I founded the Minneapolis chapter of the organization. It started in Omaha, Nebraska in uh, 
1989. I started in 1998. They started in 1989 okay. in the Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, that works. That wor absolutely works. Um, yeah, that's one thing about North Minneapolis. People don't really understand the history of it either, like uh, the Estes family. You know, oh, Fred, yeah. Frederick's running now, but the Estes were the first black-owned business in the state of Minnesota. Wow. Really? Oh, you didn't know that? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it was the first black-owned business in Minneapolis. Minneapolis people don't realize this. After World War II and when Berlin fell, Minneapolis was the most racist and anti-Semitic city in the world, not just the United States, in the world. Wow. And, you know, it's... They don't tell you that in school. <laughs> yeah, they don't bring that part up, do they? <laughs> but, yeah, I grew up with it, and it was... Uh, you know, it's really amazing. I, I never, my whole life, I've never been in an argument with a black person. No fighting, no argument. I just don't. And it wasn't yeah. like I was trying to avoid it. They were trying to avoid it. It just didn't happen. Wow. So I don't. I've seen some heated disagreements between you and Philip. Well, Philip, <laughs> Philip Wise, yeah. Well, Philip disagrees argues, with everyone. Yeah, he argues with everybody. That's, that's you can't what, yeah. avoid it. He argues with everybody, but <laughs> yeah, I, I just I wish people would calm down with this whole oh, we gotta we gotta do everything we can to, to to people rise up. No, get out of the way. Do they understand that yet? It's just look, just get out of the way. Because since I was a little boy, I just talked about this because Don Frazier just died. Oh, and wow. I remember 33 years ago, Don Fraser was the mayor of Minneapolis, and mm -hmm. uh, and Anthony Boza was the uh, Tony Boza was the chief of police. Uh, and I said on the air, "There's a there's a gang problem coming in Minneapolis and St. Paul." This was in 1988, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Said there's a so yeah, just a year before you know you started it. I, said, I was part of the problem. Yeah, you were part of the problem. That's right, VJ. You were part of the problem. I, uh, but I said to Tony Boza and Don Fraser on the air, I said, you're going to have to do something about the gangs that are, that are coming about and sprouting up in North Minneapolis. And, and Tony Boza said, there aren't any gangs. I said, yeah, there are, man. I don't know why you want to deny this, but you better do something about it. Yeah. And they said, no, they, would not, they wouldn't even admit there were gangs. They don't leave their offices and go walking around on the streets. That's the Which problem. Which they should. Yeah. Has anybody ever walked the streets with you from the police department? Yeah, we have uh, we have a couple of really uh, intelligent and bright African American young officers that just came mm -hmm. on board this year, and they love to be out in the community with us. Good. We got bike cops for kids; they're out in the community doing stuff, and so we have we have a real partnership not only with them but with the sheriff's department, and because we're trying to recruit, I believe that we want a better police force. You need to have more people that look like us and in the neighborhood, you know, because that's that's important because they understand the neighborhood, they grew up in it, and they can relate to the kids. Yep. Because you don't look at everybody as a gangbanger or a drug dealer. Right. Some kids' pants hang because they don't have a belt, you know, <laughs> you know, and just uh, nobody's <laughs> buying them a belt. Right. Belts wear out, you know, and you need to. I mean, it's it's interesting how, you know, uh, so many of our kids. Uh, when I'm in, in the jails talking to the young kids, and, and they tell me three things are the reasons why they're in jail. One, they think nobody cares. Two, they have to have provide resources and money because mom can't do it alone. And three is because um, they know that they're not going to live long, so they might as well do anything and everything because yeah. they don't think they're going to leave. Sad. And so when you have when you have a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old and 16-year-old talking like that, um, I, I, the one thing I teach them about, and it helps out because I tell the parents that I've teach them, there's a difference between criminal values and family values. Mm -hmm. and, and if you have family values, you, there's no room to be a criminal. 
Now, if you're from a crime family, they right. all go together. Right. But if you're from a family that, that believes that you do the right thing, if you earn a living, you're going to be okay. If you, if you go by the law, you're going to be fine. Those are family values. Right. If you have criminal values, then you're not going by those rules and you don't care about your future. And once they learn that, it, it clicks. They go, man, I, I don't have family values, but I love my family. You keep saying you love your mom. You keep saying you love your dad. You keep saying you love your little brother and sister. When I see you with them, I see the love, but you're not putting that into a family value. And so right. I, I believe it's big on teaching those family values. And some parents don't know how to teach it because they didn't yep. get it. Yep. They didn't get it. You know, if you're taught to slap your kid or beat your kid down when they do something wrong, or if you've been taught to smoke weed with your kid or have a drink with your kid, because that will happen with you, that's not the way to do it. Right. What, what are some solutions? Um, I, I, you know, I mean, you're taking kids that are already in a bad way and helping them. How do we as people, communities, governments, or whatever, help? this problem before it starts i mean is there something do you know yeah there is a there's a way to do it and right now what what seems to be happening people that do this well and are good at it we, we have to fight each other for resources which is so unfair i've been at the capitol i just did my first bill i'm excited because i don't i can't afford a lobbyist so i learned how to <laughs> <laughs> i learned how to be one right yeah. so I, I did my first bill i'm running around and lobbyists are giving me their cards I said, man i can't afford you but i got my first bill it didn't pass but i learned a lot okay that there, there's pots of money that are going all over the state Mm-hmm. But it, it trickles down to where all of a sudden the people that do this well are fighting over $5,000 grants. And, but there, the people, there's people that are getting a million, a half a million dollars that are taking that money, but it's trickling down. We, we've got to get ahead of that. We've got to, be, have, have, we've got to have staff, and we've got to have the, a team of people that can do this because we can do it. We know what to do for our community, okay. but you have to bring the resources. You know, I'll give you a perfect example, you know, and I, I think that tragedy happens in the white community. They put a Facebook up, and then you get a million dollars. We have somebody that just needs a, a, a little bit of help. We put a Facebook post up and nothing barely happens. And so we have to, we also, we have to be able to try to figure out how to get resources ourselves, but we also have to have compassion so we're all one village. We're not separate. We're not a separate village. And so we have that right now where we're still so separate that the, the funds don't trickle down. Right now, I need administration staff, right? Um, when you talk about in order for me to do the work I need to do, I need administration staff. I need some critical things. And I've always been talking about it. But people would say to me, no, EG, you stay out in the streets. You're doing a great job. Well, I can't really do a great job if I don't have the capacity. Right. So you have to build capacity. And so what people can do is get behind us and help us get what we need, really help us get what we need, and, and stop pitting us against each other, having us fight against each other for kibbles and bits when there's a big loaf of bread out there that yeah. could be sliced up and given out. So we're, we know how to solve our problem. We've been studied to death. We've been researched to death. There's all kind of studies and research. And matter of fact, some of the best programs the government has funded and said, well, you know, we're tired of funding that. We'll fund something else. We're tired of it? They will do that. I oh. mean, they won't say it, but that's what happens, right? <laughs> and, and uh, for instance, we had a fathering program. We were bringing in 100 fathers a week. 
to make them better dads. That program is no longer around now. And then why is that program no longer around? Because uh, the funding, the fathering movement is not as valued in the state of Minnesota as it used to be. And in, you ask anybody that's working in the fathering movement, they'll tell you, yep, yeah, those dollars important. dried up. So if fathers, we can't touch fathers' lives, what do they do? They go back to what they used to do. They're not getting nurtured. They're not getting poured into. Right. So then incarceration goes up. Now, that means that somebody else, so somebody said, wait a minute, we're losing money by helping out the fathers in incarceration and all kind of other places that makes money, so we need to change some things. And I, you know, I mean, it's changed, and it's changed all around the country where that fathering movement is not as strong as it used to be because it does tap into the incarceration movement. Yeah, it absolutely does. Well, VJ just said is absolutely true because growing up, you know, in North Minneapolis, my father was institutionalized when I was 10. I like saying institutionalized. <laughs> but I was then set upon by people in the neighborhood, uh, 10, 12, 14 years old, 16 years old. You know, hey, man, you should come into our family because, you know, our family really cares for you. They care about you. And, you know, you make some money in the family. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It, they, they use that, your dad's gone, so we're going to be your dad now. Mm-hmm. And you get some money for doing it. No, you're going to end up committing crimes like there's no tomorrow. But the family element of this, what you're talking about, is absolutely the most important thing mm-hmm. in the world. I was lucky. When my dad was gone, my mother was a very strong woman. And my brother-in-law, Pat O'Brien, I love him anyway. By He's no longer with us, but Pat O'Brien, he was half Puerto Rican. I love that, <laughs> Pat O'Brien. But, you know, my sisters, my mother, Pat O'Brien, my, my brother was in Vietnam at the time. But I was lucky because I had yeah. people in my family stepped up and said, no, we're not going to do that. Or we won't be doing that. You won't be joining any gangs or anything else like that. So I was very lucky there. Another thing that happened, and I think this is very important, and I think all dads need to do this. When I was a kid, uh, hanging out with my friends, Mr. Laurent, Mr. O'Brien, uh, you know Pat's dad, uh, uh, Mr. Fisher, these fathers all came to me and put their arm around my shoulder and said, Tom, you're, you're a smart kid. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. And them caring about me was huge for me. So what you're doing... It is really, really big for these kids. Well, you know, what's interesting, I was, when I was selling drugs, I was, a, there's a, Rockmar is a friend of mine. He got killed because uh, somebody robbed him and killed him. But he was a very successful drug dealer. He had apartment buildings and everything in Minneapolis. And I kept saying, you know what, you should go to college. You're smart enough to do all this. You should get an education. And he looked at me and said, why don't you do it? I don't want to do it. <laughs> And that was the first time anybody in my life had ever said, why don't you go to school? And I was like, wow. And so I went down, you know, I said, you know what? I did graduate from high school. So I went down to the University of Minnesota. I had my briefcase. I put my suit on. I was excited. <laughs> I said, I'm going to go to the University of Minnesota. And I, I went down there, and a guy uh, from the multicultural office came to me, and he says, I hear you want to go to the college. And he said, yeah. He said, well, we're going to take you down to you're, you're rather old. You're 38 years old, and you haven't been to school in a long time. I'm going to drive you down to MCTC. That might be a better fit for you. Yeah. And I said, no, I want to go to the U. I want to go to the best school in the state of Minnesota. He said, well, let me take you down here because you know, it's going to be better for you. So my first class was learn how to study. I didn't realize I didn't get credits for it, but that was my first class, and I was so glad I took it. I didn't know how to study. 
I graduated from high school in 1971. I had no idea on how to go to school. And I ended up being a leader in there. I was the president of student, a student association. I was the president of the Heroes Club. I became the first African-American student senate president at uh, MC Minneapolis Community Technical College. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it just goes to show that if you're around the right people and you're doing the right things, that, that you can truly be blessed. And, and, I, and I, you know, I learned how to, the biggest thing was being homeless and learning how to do it out because money used to be kind of my God. But once I realized I didn't have any money, when I was homeless, I, I worked for a, a temporary service in Oklahoma City and I made $21 a day. I worked nine hours a day. Uh, and I saved five dollars a day for lunch and transportation, and I saved um, like fifteen dollars a day just to save it up every day. And then I learned the value of not having money, and it helped me now. So I don't money's not important anymore. Yeah, I it's agree not as that. important as saving somebody's life. It's not as important as being there for my family. It's not as important as being an example. And you know, my legacy now will not be what it used to be. It'll be totally different now, and I'm thankful that I can teach others how to sacrifice so that you can be better and be what God has called you to be. I like it. We'll take another very quick break. We'll be right back more right after this with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. One of my favorites of all time. Jimmy PJ Hendrix. Smith. Oh yeah, Jimmy Hendrix. PJ Man Smith in play. studio with us, ladies and gentlemen. Mad Dads. Um, Mad Dads is it? It's not strictly in North Minneapolis. It's throughout the city, isn't it? Yeah, it's throughout. We we work all over the city. We and you know we'll go we'll go wherever we called in the city of Minneapolis and even St. Paul, because we believe that you know people need help and a lot of times people are. Uh, we believe that one thing we early on believed in is that no matter who needs help, whether we get funded or not, we're going to help. You know, we get a lot of calls for people that just want direction, like, I don't know what to do. And we'll stop and take time to help them no matter where they live because 
uh, a lot of people don't know how to communicate and how to talk to others. Sure. And they just need some direction. They're frustrated. They've lost somebody in their family or they got a kid that's, that's, that's went the wrong direction. They don't know what to do. And so we'll do that. And we'll show up wherever wherever we're called to show up. You know, if we're asked to be there, we'll be there. And I know regardless of resources, we still, and I've been told to say no more. You got to say no more. <laughs> so let me say Hard that right now. Like if that. I say no, it's because I'm being told to. Are you seeing new challenges with the heroin on the streets? Yeah, you know, and one of the challenges we're seeing is, uh, is the, the families, how they're impacted. You know, somebody tries drug for the first time or shoots heroin for the first time. Or uh, there was a young man that walked up to me, and I'll tell this story because it really affects me. Um, he's a pimp, and I'm a hope dealer, okay? We worked in the same neighborhood. And one day, one of his prostitutes said, you got to get me out of this. And I got her out, got her in treatment, and saved her. So me and him have a little joke. So when I see him, I say, when are you going to come work for me? And he always says, when are you going to come work for me, right? <laughs> and last time I seen him, which was a few weeks ago, I said, hey, man, you got a job for me? And he, he says, I need to really seriously talk to you. He says, I've been shooting heroin all this time. And he says, I'm afraid to stop shooting it because my, my bones are going to ache. And he says, I'd rather die than have that pain. Oh. And so after all these years, he's decided that he wants to go into treatment and he wants to turn his life around. And so, so you know, the heroin epidemic and so many families that I know there, there, um, what's it like when you say, when you say, well, how'd your dad die? And you say, well, he died in the Burger King bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Or he died in a Super America bathroom, or he died in, you know, I mean, how does a kid, how do you help a kid heal from that? How do you help a mother, or a grandmother, or a wife come back from that? And so, Heron has taken so many of our people along with, you know, opioids and what they're doing to our community, you know, because the doctors will write you a script and you'll you'll be just fine. You'll be floating on, floating on cloud nine and they discontinue it and then you go to the streets and you get something that was a little bit too strong for yeah. you and then you end up dead. You're a good person, but yeah, we just, just had a good friend who lost his daughter. Yeah, so it's just horrible. So, so you know, the epidemic is um, is has been constant in our community. But we, we have to get ahead of it by how do we help people with pain? Because you're getting high because you got pain. You're getting high because what's been done to you. You're getting high because of some things that you haven't dealt with. And so we're trying to get people to heal. Even our leaders don't get a chance to heal. I was just thinking about how many bodies I've seen. How many people call me, you need to get here, my baby's dying. And how many times I have to show up for that? And how many times in my mind Ugh. I see pictures? Sometimes I lay there and I see hundreds and hundreds mm. of babies and teenagers and old people. And I, I remember I, I went to a, because um, I also was a chaplain. So I went to a home and where an elderly man had died making a bowl of cereal for his eight-year-old grandson. And But I was the first person there. He was still laying on the ground, and the, the boy says, when do I get my cereal? So I went in the kitchen to get his cereal. And and I was just, the guy had it in his hand. I was like, and I made him a bowl of cereal, you know. And he was saying thank you, and the rest of the family were beating him holes in the wall and going crazy. But this little boy was like, is 
grandpa going to keep making syrup for me every day? That was the thing he did. And how do, how do you how do you heal this kind of stuff? And that's all this stuff that happens, you know, when you see all this stuff in your mind, how do you deal with it? And so I've been working on trying to get healing for leaders because we have to pretend like we're cool. Yeah. And some days we're not, you know. I've seen so many that sometimes I prefer if you don't call me because I don't, it just goes in my memory. I don't, but I'll come if you ask me. But I don't chase an ambulance or any of that stuff. I but I will help a family. But I prefer not to see as many bodies anymore because sure. it, it does something Traumatic. to your psyche. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's some of the stuff that we the opioid stuff is serious, the heroin epidemic is serious, and they were just talking about two people that died just recently in St. Paul that uh, there's a batch of heroin that is so so strong. That people are just dying. Yeah, it's like five on Saturday. Yeah, five on Saturday. Oh, and so, and there's a lot of overdoses, and, and thank God to the technology and the stuff that people are using. There'd be so many more if it wasn't for that uh, the methadone. new methadone yeah. and all that other stuff that yeah. the, that new drug that they can put. Oh, oh Narcan. Oh, Narcan. Yeah. yeah, Narcan. If it wasn't for that, man, it'd be amazing. Now, you don't even know how many people on Chicago and Franklin overdose. On Lake Street, overdose, mm-hmm. downtown overdose, and that K two that they're smoking now. Right. Oh man, that is that is mentally distorting so many people. Yeah, it, it is. is it's, I, there was a guy in my office, and he he smokes K two, and I, he says I'm fine, man. I smoke a little K two, but I could tell he was not fine. Mm-hmm. We were not having a normal conversation. We were having a psychedelic conversation. I was, wow. I was like, wow, your brain is shut. It's because there was only one of him and eight of you. Yeah. He's seeing everybody. It, it's, uh, what, do you go out, uh, when you do go out and walk the neighborhoods, what nights do you do that? Well, here's what, here's what we did. We created a uh, programming in our community that's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. We have a partnership with uh, Phillips West to do Lake Street all the way to Bloomington and back. And then we have a partnership with downtown to to reduce a lot of stuff that's going on downtown between 8 and midnight. Yeah. And uh, that's a we, mess. We, we just really go down there. And then we have a partnership with Theater Trust because the, the people that want to go to the theater were pretty, you know. And so we're down there now to make it safe for them so they can come in and go to the theater. So what we had to do, and then we... You know, we go where we're called to North Minneapolis, and we're always in the in the jails and, and on the buses. So we kind of we have staff that cover all those areas, and and then we do a thing called Outreach Explosion, where we just hit we go for about twelve hours straight, just hit all the neighborhoods and reach out, and bring sandwiches, and talk to people and sign them up for programs and services, and and that's something that we try to do at least twice a year. But um, you know, right now in North Minneapolis. You know, we got the you got the high end and the low end and all that. This clicks, and more of the younger kids that are getting into it. And then we've got we've got our Somalian kids that are that are really uh, they're starting up their own gangs. And, yeah. and then you still got the stuff coming from Chicago and Detroit. And you got all those folks coming up. You know, all those gangs. But you got these younger kids that that have a whole different way of looking. And they and most of them tell me their biggest problem: there's not one man in their life that loves on them and teaches them how to be a man. Yeah, I think that's very true. It, it does make a big difference. And like I said, you know, my brother was gone, my father was gone, Pat O'Brien stepped up, and he, he was a big influence on me. My mother, was she was an amazing person. Yeah. She, she was unbelievable. Worked at Merwin Drugstore as a, a, a 
a waitress in the fountain, worked down on Plymouth and Emerson at the old Kilroy's Cafe. It was long before your time, I'm sure. But I used to eat, eat breakfast at Merwin's when they used to have a restaurant there. Yeah, it was my, I loved my, that my place. Mother, yeah, my mother was one of the servers there. Was that your mom? Uh-huh. I used to tip her well. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really good news. I so when I come along with you, what, what do you like? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Well, first, I just want you to be able to experience what it's like uh, to be in a neighborhood and see some of the pain that is in our community, but also some of the joy that's in our community and some of the success, and to be able to visualize that from a different standpoint, other than. Um, just being able to hear about it and read about it, but just be right on the block and see people and how they respond to us and how they react when they see us. You know, it was interesting when the article came out and everything. I was I had my head down just a little bit because I take pride in the work we do, and I believe that we what we do is real. But, man, we had officers pull over. We had people tell me they want to join right away. We had folks excited about the organization. The response was overwhelming in a positive way. Matter of fact, we haven't, we haven't had one negative, pos- negative response from anyone. And so we were so thankful. You know, so when I brought my head up, I said, okay, well, we're all right. right. You know, because the one thing that I never want to do in life is, is let, let the children down that believe in our work and the parents that we've helped so much and I, I don't want to let them down by being something that is not real we're a real organization we love the people we work hard we sacrifice you know I get paid for eight hours a day and I work 16 most days because I really found out this is what I'm supposed to be doing uh, and back in the days I took away a lot you know and one of the stories I tell people all the time the reason why I don't sell drugs or do any of that anymore is there was a family that came to my house six kids and a mother and they knocked on the door and they said, our husband, my dad, their dad, the husband has left. And, but he used to come to you all the time to get drugs. And we just wanted, could you, since he's no longer around, could you buy us some groceries? Oh. I bought groceries for that family. And then I realized that, you know, that, that I've got to stop doing this. This is not good for the community. It's not good for me. And it's not something that I was called to do. There's a, uh, what was it, when I was a little boy living over there, was a synagogue on L- Logan just south of Plymouth Avenue, and it's now a church, and the the head minister there, God, I, I wish I, I was over there a couple of years, she called me a couple of years ago and said, would you come over to a service? And she's about five feet tall at the most, but I wouldn't want to fight her, I'll tell you that. <laughs> she was tough as hell, but one of the most touching things I saw when I was down there, they would go out and round up homeless people. Didn't matter what color they were, what you know, gender they were. None of it. None of it mattered. And as I was sitting there, the one thing they did ask them is, if if you you know you're going to do this, we would like to, to have you come and take communion. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to you know, just come and take communion. Some of those people, white people, black people, whatever, would start crying like it was no because somebody actually cared enough. To come and get them and say, hey, you know, you need to, you need to have at least an hour or two away from all this. It meant so much to them, and watching that was amazing. It was just great. And as I left that day, everybody at the church gave me a big hug, said, "Just thanks for coming by." So hopefully they do that. I'm sure they do that with you too, don't they? Yeah, all the all the time. You know, we we get lots of accolades, and what I love is taking a broken man, putting a green shirt on him, 
sending him out in the streets for people to start patting him on the back and saying, thank you, thank you guys for what you do. And they're looking like, I didn't do anything. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. but I remember, a little bit of support. I remember once we, we were going around up to liquor stores and I had a new guy that just came on and a lady walked up to him and said, here's my house keys. Would you guys help me move my stuff? And he had never, nobody had ever came to him and gave him a key. He, he was, that was his first day. And he, he immediately ran up to me and said, this lady gave me a key to the house and said, have the mad dads come in. And his thought was, well, we'll come and take everything out of your house, right? Because he, he's just formally out of incarceration. He don't know. That's right, the way he thinks right, as a criminal. Right. But it was good that he thought. And I can't had her come over and said, he's a new mad dad. He doesn't know what to do. And, you know, we're not going to be able to do that for you. But here's your key back. But. That kind of stuff is what can happen. People believe in the uniform just like they believe in an officer when they see the uniform. And uh, they believe in us to know that we'll do the right thing to help you do what you have to do. And we can take a man and give him some pride. He says, man, nobody ever said thank you for anything until I joined Mad Dads. Nobody's ever thanked me for anything. And so we want to continue to keep our legacy on so people can thank us for the work we do. We get a lot of that, and we've got a number of awards Matter of fact, uh, we were, uh, I remember early on, we were asked to be uh, security for Jesse Jackson. Uh, we also were asked for Al Sharpton to be uh, security for him. So we've done a lot of stuff in the community to make a, make a difference, and we just want to continue to do it. You're amazing, there's no doubt about it. V.J. Smith, ladies and gentlemen. So you'll be reaching out to me. We'll tee something up. I'm yeah. going to be out of town this weekend. We're done. Actually, I'll be baby. Well, Catherine, I'll be babysitting for Alex's babies. Okay. Which will be a good thing. But yeah, I do want to get out there. I just like the fact that we had a conversation today, and not one person, uh, you know, made this sad face or is like, "Oh, the, I feel so sorry for you people." I hate that so much when people, you know, uh, get on TV or get the news. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. Don't tell people you feel sorry for them. Get the hell out of the like way. Again, Wolf, Wolf Blitzer at Katrina. That's exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, sir. they're so poor and they're so black. <laughs> what? Yeah. Remember when he said that? Yeah, yeah. What is wrong with you? I was like, wait a minute. I had to. I had to pause when I heard that. I'm like, you know Did the you just producer. Say that? <laughs> stick to the script, Paul. Just stick to the script. DJ, it's really All nice right. of you to come by. It's great to see you again. I'm Thank glad you. that uh, this bump in the road is out of the way. I'll come out now. I want to talk, and I, I, I'll call you and get you booked on the morning show, too, because I'll let you to come in okay. for a segment. Oh, that'd be great. About, I, I, I'll close with this. I won't uh, get to sit with these beautiful ladies, but that's no. all right. Well, I, can bring, I can bring them along. Can you bring them along? <laughs> I can definitely bring them along. But I, I was told when I was a little boy, over and over and over again, going to St. Joseph's, which is no longer, it's where the bridge crosses over Plymouth Avenue for 94 now, that's where St. Joseph's Church used to be. I went to school there, and then I went to St. Anne's up on Queen and, uh, and 26th. But when I was a little boy, I, was, I kept hearing, oh, man, they're going to do so much for the north side. It's going to be unbelievable. We're all coming in. 1965, I was, you know, 13, whatever. Whoa, we're going to pour a lot of money into the north side and the south side, you know. It's going to be unbelievable. All these years later, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. They don't ever do what they say they're going to do, and that has to change. Well, well it, turned, it did rip down the projects, though. Those they were burned down, down the projects. It's much <laughs> Let's nicer be now. honest about It's that. much nicer than it used to be. I yes, was down is. there watching it burn. All <laughs> 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 so that was a different. No, in, 19, in 1968. 
Uh, Detroit was burning. No, uh, I know Minneapolis was, but I'm talking about the late 70s, the projects around. Oh, you're talking about the old Bryant Fourth project. Bryant. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah. That the Bryant project. It's called Heritage Park now. Yeah, and it's, not, it's nice. <laughs> Nicer houses than most people live in. <laughs> like, right. Those yeah. houses are gorgeous. Yeah. But, yeah, I love the fact that you were actually going to do something and, and help people out. It's really terrific to see you again. I'll reach out to you very soon when I get back. Next week we'll get this teed up, and I we got to get over to that church again. I can't remember the name of the church, but we'll get it. It's right, just like I said, just south of Plymouth Avenue on Logan Avenue. Okay. That I assume she's still there. You'd love to meet her. She's wonderful. I like to, I like to meet her. And people can go to my website too, www.minneapolismaddads.org, and if you feel like you want to make a contribution to the work we do, we sure would love to have you. You're a good man. Thanks very much, sir. Thank you, sir. We'll be back. Tom here from my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? And I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Where's the manager? Walls are automotive yeah, is just car selling secrets. Oh car selling secrets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, baby. Mom claimed that Alex and I both had whooping cough when we were kids. It was croup. It was croup. Croup, whoop, it all sounds the same to me. Okay, we have the first, first of all time, ladies and gentlemen. Doug already told me to shut up. No, I did not. <laughs> Why don't you introduce our guest? You know well, him very Bob, well. Bob, how long ago did we meet? Got a long I was time. new on the union board, so it's got to be about 23, 23, 23 years, 24 God. years. Yeah. I, I've always had such a great time with the whole thing. We had a, a very quick explanation for new listeners. I grew up in a family that had cops and criminals in it, which, as you find out, <laughs> is rather common. <laughs> you know, it really is. Uh, the old neighborhood and stuff. Uh, there was a very key figure back about 23 years ago. I was talking to him, you know, and, and his brother couldn't stay out of jail, and he was one. He was a big shot cop, and his brother could not stay out of prison. That's wow. just how. I mean, it's kind of how it what how it is. So do you go out to Stillwater a lot, Bob? Or yeah, uh, no, nope, well, no. Bob. My mom. I'm the last of six, and she said that the worst one that I raised became the cop. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, okay, it's kind of a tradition before yeah, we start exactly. the interview. We always have our guests tell the story about the first car that they ever owned. Ooh, like and it. if it's a boring story, just lie and make something. No, it's uh, now owned because according to my older brother, my mom and dad gave me a 69 Buick LeSabre. But that's not true. And he's my favorite. And my mom even says it's not true. He used it from time to time. My first car I owned, I just got out of the Army basic training in MP school. And I bought a, a four-door uh, two-tone blue 78 Plymouth Horizon. So you were what I could afford on the you, were trying, you were trying, right. you were trying to retain your virginity back at that point. Yeah, I was going to say, ooh, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was way late for that, Doug. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, so is it too early to ask if I can form a death squad? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I just... Uh, Bob, I tell a story quite often, living on, on Plymouth Avenue, growing up as a kid. I'm, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. I would leave Bryant and Plymouth, which is, we lived at 914 14th Avenue North, and I would walk downtown to go see a movie. At ten years old, I'd walk downtown, go to the movie, and walk back home. And the movie was a quarter, by the way. So, oh what does that tell you? You're old Nobody as hell. ever bothered <laughs> me. Ever. No did, one did ever you tip even the piano thought. player. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. No, I nobody I was never bothered. Not one time walking downtown, walking on Hennepin Avenue, walking down Plymouth Avenue. No one ever bothered me because the parents in my neighborhood would never have allowed it. And that was black kids, white kids, Mexican kids. It was all of us. We were all in it together. Nobody ever battled. I went to St. Joseph's. No, no. I think I saw one fight where Benny Crushon got hit in the back of the head with a baseball bat. So it was a pretty severe fight. But, you know, <clears throat> it was one of those deals. Yeah, you saw um, more domestic violence than anything else. A lot of domestic violence, yeah. There was a lot of that back in the old days. But, but Bob, I tell you, honestly, I really, really miss... That neighborhood. I grew up in supposedly the worst neighborhood in the state of Minnesota, but I just loved it. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, when I'd be out on, a say, a Sunday morning, I'd sit out in the front step because I'd wake up a little early, and then all the hookers and strippers would come home with their mascara running from crying, and like, oh, God, is that depressing. It was incredibly depressing. Ah, the good old days. It was, though, I learned. That uh, that hits complete home because very similar to you, I grew up in the east side of St. Paul. Oh, and right yeah, now yeah. in St. Paul, that's where we're having all the trouble. And in fact, just last night, my sister texted me saying they had a a uh, party at Ob's Bar for. And now yeah, my sister sure. is is sixty in her sixties, and uh, there's a party there for one of the ladies, and the couple walked out and they got robbed in the parking lot of Ob's oh, Bar. And so right away I text oh. back, oh, that pisses me off when it's in our backyard because I yeah. would love to walk out when that happened. They, you know, they feigned that they had a gun. They didn't. And, you know, they gave over their stuff and took off. But now if you don't not familiar with Ob, that's the St. Paul cop hangout. They eat there on duty, right. off duty. So right, right. In, the, in our backyard and literally right where we grew up because it was, a, it was the same thing for us in the east side. To see it happen there, to see it happen in Minneapolis, for those of us that love the neighborhoods like you and I that we grew up in, it's yep. tough to see. I've got an east side story for you. This is back early 90s. I'm playing at the Mounds Park Lounge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is where the professional alcoholics are. There were no beginners in there. 
the middle of the second set, I look up and a guy had just passed out, fallen backwards out of his bar stool, and it was a stand up Franks died. Yeah, baby, the guy died right there. Oh, he died. So we oh stopped playing, and the bartender just for a says, "What the f are you doing? Start playing." It's like. The guy just he's dead. Yeah, can we have a Keep moment playing, of silence baby. for him, right. baby? My, my brother was in that bar one night, and he told me he saw another guy making the guy dance, shooting at his feet with a gun. Oh, God. Jesus. What? You know, why don't I have fun like that anymore? <laughs> well, playing a band. Eddie <laughs> <laughs> playing a band. Yeah. I could wow, get that going. That'd be, that'd be a nice touch right there. Incredible. But the difference today, I think, is uh, I was down in Nashville doing some work, and I was Love talking. And, uh, me too. And I was oh. talking in front of a group, and we somehow gun control stuff came up, and I I said, how many of you have firearms? 80% had them in their car. Mm-hmm. Nobody had firearms when we were, I mean, no. you just didn't worry about getting no. shot. Now you drive, you know, I'm driving back to the hotel, someone cuts me off, I'm like, you know, thinking I'm going to get okay. shot if I do anything. And today it's a different world. You just assume people are packing. You got right. it. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. all true. That's scary. It's Too often not the right scary. people packing, you know. I, we're, the cops are there they're for responsible citizens having concealed carry permits um, but because there's so many other guns out there. And uh, we are, our, the, the police opinion is the only person that's going to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Um, that's kind of our philosophy. Everybody Which thinks, fact. do the cops want gun control? No, they just want the right people to have them. I know, but you look at this uh the Prime Minister of New Zealand, when they had the shooting, it took mm-hmm. a month and all the assault rifles were gone. Yeah. yeah. But what's weird is so many more people get killed with handguns in the inner city that, than. Oh, even, yeah. Assault it, rifles. Well, it's the mass yeah. shootings that people would like to see stop. Most I'd like of to see those all are handguns, too. You know, I mean. Yeah, most of those are handguns, too, actually. Not in the school shootings and oh, such. Oh, yeah. They are? The yeah. last one was handguns a handgun. are much easier yeah. to hide. Santa Clarita. They're easier to maneuver indoors. The only reason to use a rifle is if you're shooting long distance, which in a school shooting, you're probably not. So. Do you think true. part of that is. is uh, schools and parenting has changed so much now. And the reason I ask you that question is because I have a uh, permit to carry. I have many times in my life. We I own six handguns. But I found. <laughs> you didn't know that. See, they're easy you to conceal. You might want to I know. They're too. real easy to conceal from you, apparently. Oh. Oh. No, but I found out, and I did not know this, but a no listener good. to the KQ Morning Show told me, and, and, and I, apparently it's true, that since I'm on medical THC to sleep, I cannot carry a gun anymore. I didn't know that. Is that true in Minneapolis? I would really? S- uh, apparently it is. Yeah. I mean, well, I I don't. That's that's the truck. Well, the tough part with the THC laws it is, is yeah. what you know. When can you drive? When can you carry? Right. Um, but and, you can drink. Yeah, you, know, you can you, drink you, all you, you want. Yeah, you can be oxy. You can't drink and carry. Than Philando Castile, and that yeah, one yeah. did drink and carry though. Can you? Said, no. Right. No. So correct. you can't drink and that's carry. Well, it's illegal. Yeah. You're not supposed to. Yeah. Well, but, you can't be drunk and carry, but you can like drink while still having a concealed carry license. Point right. Yes. Right. But you can't. You just have a firearm limit. You know, and then the police, if you have them, it's much even lower. It's even lower than that. Oh, sure. So we, yeah. But policy. I would hope so. Yeah, it changes. But uh, no, but Castile had the, he he was high, but he had the permit, which invalidates the permit. So right, it does, yeah. yeah. But see, for so for me, my whole life, if I carried a gun, nobody would ever know. They'd never know if I was carrying a gun or not. But I don't because it's against the law. It's not about somebody finding out if I'm breaking the law. It's against the law. Don't do it. 
Why is that so hard? Aren't really the problem. I don't know why it's so hard. My mother taught me you'll obey the law, and that's just how it is. I got the laws of the house and the laws out there. You will obey the law. I, right from my mother, and I to this day. Because you know when I take THC to sleep, I don't get high. I just go to sleep. So it's not like I get high on THC and they go, oh, I gotta go to bed. I just go to sleep. Right. And so you it would wake really, up and it's out of you don't feel the effects. So I don't feel the effects. So like I could have a gun on me right now and it's not an effect, but I don't because. So what would be interesting though is it would be in your blood for some thirty days. That's what they say. That's right. what the problem and so is. So yeah. now can you pack a week mm-hmm. later and. Nope. So you're out for 30 days. You're out for, as long as you're on medical THC, you can't carry a gun at all. And I don't know what the threshold is. You can fly an airplane. I don't know. What I want to get well, is like a machine gun mounted on the back of my car. Turret. So I could get a turret out there. It's an open thing. You're not carrying, right? You know, if you were stoned, I don't think you'd be very effective with a weapon. Probably anyway. not. So, hang on a second. Hey, look at that. Oh, my this dude. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, I think that's the problem is which bad guy do I shoot? Because there's only one. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a problem. Yeah. I could see no, that being a problem. you're just too chill to care anymore. You're just like, I have a question for you, Bob. So, uh, as a lot of people, but not everybody knows, during the president's last, they call them rallies, I guess, when he was in town a month or so Mm -hmm. ago, the mayor pulled something, and I tend to lean left a little bit, that I thought personally was kind of chicken shit. He told the cops that they couldn't wear their uniforms yeah, off I know, duty. I know. So Bob yeah. and his buddies got together and got these red shirts made up. And of course, this was I right, saw up, that, right up Trump's alley. He just loved it. And he got to meet him and go on stage with him. And they called him out during the rally. So tell right. us what that was. I mean, I'm not a big Trump fan, but I still think meeting the President of the United States has got to be a pretty cool experience. Right. And and I mean, to, to back up to how it transpired, everybody saw what the mayor came out and said. And right. I, no matter which your party lines are, I think it's pretty foolish for a mayor to not invite and tell the standing sitting president he's not welcome here. I agree. It could be only a matter of time, and we've had it with tornadoes, with bridge collapses in Minneapolis, where you may need federal assistance and funding. And why would you ever do that? I just thought it was irresponsible. And then in addition, in in other times, um, not only have our members been, you know, um, um, encouraged, they were ordered to be behind presidents mm-hmm. when they were democrats right. so i thought right. the hypocrisy so as we as we do i got a good buddy that's a retired lieutenant was on the was on the federation board with me rob goodsell and he does he's in t-shirts now so we're in a bar meeting our chicago counterparts in our motorcycle club halfway to wisconsin we drew this shirt up on a bar napkin that night <laughs> and we thought it was going to be similar to when betsy hodges called me a jackass and we'd sell about a hundred of them but what happened was the president caught on to that. He tweeted it out, and this just took off. And I mean, how many thousands it, of shirts? We've did you sold sell? well over five thousand. <laughs> and the, the nice part the mayor's not going to like is it goes to our charitable arm, and Uh-oh. we're going to be pumping it into programs that are near and dear to the citizens, and <laughs> po- political politicians' hearts in Minneapolis. So wonderful. We're going to do some high-profile donations to things, and they're they're going to go now. We want to hate these guys, and look what they're doing now. So yeah. so what was Phase like two was going to come, you, but meeting him, to... back to meeting him, um, again, don't believe the media. Him, the vice president, his son, Eric, I had the honor to meet all of them. And them and everyone on their entire staff were the nicest people. They were, um, everyone said to us, you know, law enforcement is very important to the president. It's very important to this administration. Uh, we want you to know how much you mean to him. And, and honestly, um, we, we did pictures with the VP, who was a great guy. 
Um, his son Eric on, had been boring. texting me. You can say it; he's a little boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, lo- he loved the cops. He's from you Ohio know, or whatever. I was with, I was with cops. He loved them. And um, I'm in line Indiana. to meet, meet the president. Same thing. Outside, and when I came into view, there were ten or you know eight, ten people in line, or ten or twelve. Anyway, in line. And when I came into view, he just stops his photo and meeting them. He goes, "There's my guy." points at me and it was so it was really incredible Mm -hmm. and then i talked to him and he goes hey i'm going to bring you up on stage and and uh i actually had uh i talked during the the pre-rally the pre-program so it was amazing i I was a nervous wreck um going up on stage in front of that was only twenty thousand people and and i've been in and out of the the target center a lot over my years on duty and off and it it was truly the most energy i've ever felt inside that place it was Mm -hmm. it was crazy but it nicest people uh, everybody was on his staff was very respectful. He was very accommodating. So, don't believe the media. <laughs> <laughs> well, well we never do. Them. No, we do not believe the media. Back to you being true. called a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> why, did, why did Betsy Hodges yeah. call you a jackass? I don't remember what it was that oh. time. But, you <laughs> that know, time. I, oh, uh, exactly. you know, yeah. She I'm, was a I'm piece of work. Was right. she wearing her headdress when she called I, you? The, <laughs> no, she loved I to wear did. that headdress. I did you see that. But the, the funny part for me, for when being the Federation president, was watching Betsy Hodges, Janae Harto, and the assistant chief Chris Arneson all not get along and just self-destruct. So it was <laughs> that did it happen. Was, yeah. uh, it was it truly happened, and the department hasn't been happier. I I say, um, I went from working under the worst chief to the best chief. And, and I've heard a quick. lot of cops say that. Well, that's that good. quick. Yeah. Really? Thank God there's some improvements. I worked under a lot, and and uh, Rondo, to me, in my eyes, from my position in the Federation role and seeing his vision for the department, he's been the best. There's and he's no, been on the force for, what, 30 years He, he came something? on six months after me. Yeah. yeah. We never And we never worked together. He was a north side cop. Bob, we're going to take a quick cop. break. We're going to be right back in a, with more car selling secrets, which is really has nothing to do with cars today, but it's really interesting. Police cars. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always a pleasure to be with you, Tommy. So you're splitting the tab at lunch, you're pitching in on a gift for a coworker. maybe you got to pay that football pool entry fee, and you need to settle up now. What do you do if you don't have cash on hand? You could use one of those third-party transferring services that comes with fees and takes days, but how secure are they? Why not send money quickly and safely with the click of a button, without the hassle of a middleman? What's the answer, Michael? The X-Chat Gap, brought to you by your local community bank. It's safe, secure, and simple to use. The X-Check Gap, 
Simply add a new contact by entering their name, phone number, and email into the app. Enter a dollar amount and then initiate the transfer. To accept the payment, the contact simply enters their bank information through a secure link sent via text or email. X-Check, safe and simple from my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Car selling suitcase. Rob, I've got a question for you. I'm not a Minnesota native, but I've lived here since I was 12, so I'm close. And I drove cab in the city in the late 70s through the early 80s. Not a great, safe time. They had just invented crack in the neighborhood oh, south God. of uh, oh. Lake Street around Chicago, 4th, uh, all the way down to Cedar. Where it was terrible down there. And I know that there's some uh, controversy about how crime rates get reported, but would, is it worse now than it was back in the 70s, or is it better, or is it different? It's tough to say. Um, you, you know, the reporting is one thing. Everything you do generates a case number, so there's obviously higher reporting that way and what it goes. But I can, from my own personal experience, the area you mentioned, my first five years were basically a, a mile radius from where 35W and um, Lake Street intersect. So basically, I, you know, th- three years in the 5th Precinct, other side of 35W, the east side is is a 3rd Precinct. And I, when I moved precincts, I moved right on the, under the bridge. That mm-hmm. was it. So, but in that era, it was all. That was when the crack wave really hit. I was there eighty nine, eighty nine to ninety five, and working there, and looking at that area now, it's it's much much better than yeah. it was. Than it's it was changed before. dramatically. There were crack houses like crazy. We used to do SWAT raids of fifty a month, drug raids, oh, and now they'd be lucky to do. They'd be lucky to do ten a month. And that was common. So the crack wave kind of came and went, and the area in the 5th Precinct has gotten really nice there. They've dumped a lot of money into housing and stuff, and even the 3rd Precinct is better. Are they going to open up a Nicolette again and get rid of Kmart? Because I was, in that time, that's okay, when they no. put that up. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, but the crime, it's in that respect, it's down. And then we had, in the late 90s, we had Murderapolis, where we approached 100, oh, right. 100 yeah. homicides in a year. And right now we're sitting at about 40. So we're getting a lot more shootings, though. And that's what's really unreported. The report is aggravated assaults. And truly, there, I say there's three things that are keeping the, the murder rate from being uh, triple digits. And the it's, hospital's it, one of them? It, it, well, exactly. EMS, yeah. EMS, the advanced EMS, they're bringing people back from the dead yep. at HCMC and North Memorial. Oh, yeah. And then the paramedics oh, on the scene do a wonderful job, too. That's the <laughs> yep. biggie. And then, too, there you, we're talking about concealed carry. They're using small caliber handguns. It's very small and they're lousy shots. Those are the, your three big factors in my Thank thing. God. Every night we get a person shot. Just oh, yeah. basically every night there's someone on the watch yeah. commander. Yeah. Well, you'll see non-life-threatening injury, uncooperative victim. Um, that's your standard, standard So they had thing. it coming. <laughs> well, okay. well, the, you know, the sad part is yeah. that the north there side is the busy is where you're getting your shootings, and then downtown. Yeah, you know, yeah. and if you go downtown for entertainment, you were hitting on that, Tom, and, and yeah. you're you got to be out of there by ten o'clock, or you're taking your life in your hands. So and why true, does it yeah. seem to like me that nobody seems to give a crap? About this, that that the politicians just don't care. Well, if you they, say something, you put your life at risk. They, they don't. And when you hire and unanimously select a chief of police, and he lays out a plan for 400 more officers yes. over the course of the next five years, and right now you're struggling if you should give them 14 more or not. Right now, they they think in this in this city that 
the politicians know more by being elected about mm -hmm. what's needed for law enforcement. Because I mentioned, you know, the chief and I see eye to eye on many, many things, and the staffing level is one of them. So, but okay. Yeah. So, but what is the po political upside for these people, the politicians, to not? Do anything. My my theory is they get in, they get elected by a very small number of votes. People don't vote in these city council races. No, they don't. More importantly, we've got 13 council members, which is about the same that they have in San Francisco and things like that. In my opinion, we should reduce it to half and double the salary of these folks because most of them are community organizers, activists that have right. never had a real job. Right. And for them, this is a damn good job. They're coming on and they're making what they're making what our patrol officers make roughly, you know, starting and going so from did, community can I ask, what is to a that. Patrol, uh, uh, patrolman, patrol person. They start make. to low, low to mid eighties a year, okay. and that's what the, that's what the city council is, and then what they gave themselves a big raise. But it's a very good job when you include city benefits and things like that, and. And you, you've got this very just vocal, to interrupt, active you group. can make about that selling cars at Walzer. And <laughs> we haven't had a shooting in Yeah, not dodge any bullets. You're, you're going to have some applications. <laughs> well, not very many. You're going to have bullets. some applications yeah, come in. You're going to start selling right. cars. But we're seeing cops yeah. leave. We really are. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is they're leaving. And truly, when you got this job, I went from the Postal Service to this, and from the east side of St. Paul, you get a civil service job. In my era, you made it, right? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. You, you never saw people leave. And that's what's disturbing, too, is we're seeing people leave. And when you tested, you had 1,000 people apply for, you know, 30 positions. Wow. Now we're getting 200 people or less apply for that same Yeah, well, month. nobody, there's, millennials don't want to get shot at either. No. No. <laughs> well, I mean, just. We don't. Anybody with common sense doesn't right. want to yeah. get shot at. It's too risky. Yeah. You know, when I was listening to it, when I was a kid, I grew up in St. Louis Park, and Ooh, we didn't have any big crimes. But, so Officer Pass Fitzgerald, who took me Pass home, 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th, same cop. But nobody ever got for this, like, smoking dope. But nobody ever went to a station. There was nothing. I mean, it was sort of right, policed in your right. neighborhood. Yes. Yep. The guy took literally, I rode my bike. He followed us home, made you knock on the door, tell your parents what you did. And then you were disciplined by, I was far more fearful of my dad than I was of Officer Fitzgerald. Very much like myself, yes. You never wanted to get brought home by the police. Oh, so. no. Oh, no, no, no. no. That, that would not be No, good. but that's, so. I mean, there was, you know, today it's... Not the parents anyone's afraid of. No, exactly. But uh, to your point, Catherine, that, that's the, to me, the council, if you, reduced, if you reduced the number of them and increased what they made, you'd have more responsible people, more successful people with business minds that want to run the city the right way. Right now, they're pandering to a small vocal group that they feel gets them elected, and they're, they're not serving the citizens as a whole. But the communities no. are suffering. Yeah, exactly. Are. And you, if you go to North Minneapolis... In your old neighborhood, Tom, you and you talk to your average black resident. They love the police. They want to have more they of do. them. They do. Absolutely. Um, they want to have more of them. Our guys are getting coffee bought for them. They're getting to say, hey, you know, again, don't believe what the media is saying, that kind of thing. So, nope. they, but the voter turnout is very low. Which I know, is but so can, I can't name you one of my council. No. People. No. I mean, I, other they, than they if they I drove by a sign in a yard, but I don't. Agenda. Yeah. I don't know anybody How on many the precincts or no are there in Minneapolis? Council. Five. Five. And five, they've got yeah. 13 council members? Yeah. It's a lot. <clears throat> For no Seems reason. Seems like you should have five. Here, here's one question I wanted to ask. And, and you know, if you, I, here's what I don't understand. Now, I talked to a lot of people I grew up with. A lot of those people are black that I grew up with. And they, they, here's their problem. 
what you see on TV is that black people are shooting people. But it's black people they're shooting. Yes. Now, here's the problem we have. Are they ever going to step up and protect black people in their neighborhoods? Because if you're not, that's kind of racist, isn't it? That's, no, that's it's, right. It's racist as hell, and no one cares. No, no, I just don't get it. Your our average shooting I was just talking about is, you know, black male suspect, black yep. male victim, non-life threatening yep. wound and, and that's it. And yep. and those are the people that are getting hurt. And those are the people that want more police protection. They do. And then the other part of that is is they've gotten to they've gotten into de policing so much. Where when I was a young cop, listen, you stopped everything that moved. And you're getting you're are you profiling well if you got a taillight out, it's a legal stop. Are you stopping? Your little arrests lead to big arrests. You're in, doing that. You're taking these guns off the street. That isn't going on anymore because the cops don't want to be called all the isms. You're stopping me because I'm. Yeah. And yep, yep. they're like, is it easier to drive past this violation and stay out of trouble or be accused of this, that, and the other thing? And so there's a lot of there's a lot of deep policing going on and it's encouraged they you know we, we i used to make a, a million traffic stops but i've given one dwi and 12 speeding tickets in 30 years but got a lot of guns out of there in the meantime and a lot of people warrants for their arrest <laughs> so it's a fishing expedition that's really the, the fishing has gotten really limited which is a bad part you never everybody. worked around the caboose apparently <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, a great well, spot right yeah, the perfect spot to arrest people actually no doubt well I'm, how much of that really goes on where you hang by a caboose or if you go down, you know. No, we, we don't even have a traffic division anymore, and I've never been a proponent of traffic enforcement, <laughs> you know. We, we don't. We don't have a traffic. We used to have a 40-person traffic division where they were out there to do speeding tickets, DWIs, and, and that was it. Oh, keep yep. the road safe and, for the citizens? Right, right. Oh. Who and does the it problem now? Is, is what? If you're a hit-and-run victim down there, good luck to you because you're going to get a case number, go file oh, with your insurance company, and you compare that to the sub suburbs around us, that's just second-class treatment. You can't treat your people that way. You know, these things, and, and that's the problem. And that's where the chief's vision for more cops, that's what they would be doing. A vision. You know. That's nice. So what's the relationship between the highway patrol and the police? Actually, very good now. It, you know, there's... Believe it or not, our cops get DWIs. They come. I represent them when they do. You know, <laughs> yes, it's one of the only, yeah. you know, one of the few jobs where if you do get arrested, you suffer the consequences at work. Also, you go through the regular stuff, and then you're, hey, I'm suspended, and I can't drive, and I'm transferred, or I'm demoted. Those types of things happen. So, um, but. But, you know, people of this generation, the, the millennials are a lot more responsible in Uber use and stuff like that. So the troopers have a pretty good, it's been an up and down relationship over the years, but it's pretty good if they get a chase and that <clears throat> comes into the city and the guys bail, you know, they're, they rely on us for help a lot because their backup is a lot so what it, are, So you see them everywhere between the police. So who governs 394? Is it... Local or is it governed Three, by the highway 394 patrol? Three ninety four is the state patrol. Yeah. So yeah. where does the highway patrol? Be, basically, the the freeways and state highways is their thing. They See, Bob, go, what's going on state, here? Just so anywhere. you know, he owns a Porsche and he's just trying to figure <laughs> out. Right. Where, can, where right. can I speak? Yeah. Just so right. probably <laughs> 2 a.m. in Lake Street, if you can just light the lights green, light them up, baby. That's sane lane. I don't I, think you have is to Is anybody on the sane lane? Not in Bloomington. What's amazing <laughs> to me is, and looking back now, going to St. Joseph's School over there at, uh, on 11th and 4th, it's now where the where, where, where there's a bridge across Plymouth Avenue where St. Joseph's used to be back in the day, right? 
and I, it just just occurred to me just now sitting here listening to you talk about this. When I was a little boy going to that school, the Minneapolis police would come in and once in a while just check on everybody in the school, everybody at St. Joseph's, St. Anne's, all the public schools, all the rest of it. <clears throat> and we had a guy named Officer Savanich. Remember Officer Savanich? I, I don't remember, but I remember you the remember legend the name, passed down you? from him for sure. I will tell you something. Officer Savanich would go to every kid in North Minneapolis, and I mean every one of them, and say, look, we care about you. We want you to be safe. The co- I want you to know that the Minneapolis Police Department cares about you. A lot of these kids didn't have parents. You know, my dad's gone. Mom's at home. Like me, my dad was gone. But he, Officer Savanich, every time I would see him, he'd go, Tom, we really do care about you. It was wonderful. Can the cops even do that anymore? They they do have the SROs, and that's something that they actually the council wanted to get rid of too. Of course they did. Because now they're they're calling this the the gateway to what was it the gateway to prison or something like that. That with cops in the schools, and I had this I had this argument with them. I says, listen, it it was I'm missing the term gateway to something, but the pathway to prison. That's what it was. By having cops in schools, and I said, you realize that. The cops that are in those schools as uh, SROs, they want to be there, and they're yes. there to serve yep. as mentors. We get a lot of our good police candidates out of there because they're recruiting when they're young to come, yep. hey, come to the police department. They want to be there. Their heartfelt, their hearts are in it. If you get the street cops that's been rolling around in a squad car and has to get dispatched <coughs> to that fight at that high school, yeah. guess what? They're going to come. They're going to take the two and book them and be off. Yep. Where you go to an SRO's office, he knows the kids. He knows, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's the best investment you can make in the police department. We have those in high school. They want to be there. And out in Rogers. So it's all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yep. no, that's a, it's a thing that needs to stay. There used to be more of. They've re- reduced them. Houghton Rogers was it to cut down on all the cattle rasping? Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> yeah. 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 exactly. Assaulting he animals. Was there for. Yeah. Assaulting yeah. animals. We had that's one. Nice. We had one gang fight. Ooh, you did. You, you did. You had a gang, gang fight. Rogers. Yep. Mm-hmm. They brought in a bunch of students that got kicked out of Brooklyn Center High School and oh, brought them to Rogers. Of course, thank you. Gee, thanks for bringing them out. We appreciate it. <laughs> Immensely. That's well, a great we need, idea. Because we needed more diversity. diversity. Mm. Why did you need more so diversity? Bring in the white out had, there in Rogers. We, had, we literally had two half black students in our <laughs> whole school. Well, that equals a whole. Yeah. That's one whole. That was it. You know, that's good. I'm glad you mentioned that actually because when Officer Savanich would come to St. Joseph's, there were black students, Mexican students. The, the only people that we didn't really have in North Minneapolis were Asians. They just There weren't that many Asians in, in Minnesota anyway, and we didn't have any. But the copper would go the from copper. kid to kid. Well, we copper. Copper. That, that Never from, take me alive. That was from Lamont <laughs> Dean, my, my, my cousin who was a uh, head of a county deputy sheriff and a Minneapolis cop for many years. But he would, Officer Savanich would talk to Benny Crushan, was a black kid, loved him. Uh, you get on the list of the Morales family. He would go to every kid and say, we do care about you. Doesn't matter your skin color. Doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. It didn't matter at all. And this was in supposedly one of the most racist times in America's history in the 1950s and 60s. I, why, what happened to that? Why yeah. did they let that go? Yeah, I don't know. They're, they're still there doing that. Um, God, it's you know, wonderful. They, they move around. But these guys, he stayed for many years. I think it was Ed Savanich, wasn't that? Ed's, yeah, God, that's amazing. Officer yeah. Savanich. God, uh, that's been a few years, Bob. Legendary. Yeah, yeah, I told you, I got a great memory if it's 20 years ago plus, but nothing about yesterday <laughs> nothing or about yesterday. Prior. we got to take a quick break, we and we'll be back with our final segment. God, of final segment already. 
Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Start the new year looking great and feel even better by losing 20 to 40 pounds with help from my friends at Ultimate, powered by Nutramost. It's Tom, and I'm thrilled to let you know that for a very limited time, you'll receive 20 to 30% off all programs with Ultimate's New Year's resolution sale. Do what I did and let Dan and Neil Sheehy and the staff at Ultimate help you change your relationship with food forever. With the help of Ultimate, I lost 41 pounds and another 42 pounds in each of my two 40-day programs. Debbie P. from Anoka lost 31 pounds in 43 days. Cheryl S. of Webster lost 36 pounds in 43 days. And Ron D. from Lakeville lost 57 pounds in just 43 days. Live your healthiest life starting today. Schedule an immediate consultation and receive 20 to 30% off all programs for a limited time. Call Ultimate, powered by Nutramost. 763-333-7337. Is this the new one from Mario Speedwagon? No. Only Fog Hack can sing this the new one. I wanted to play some Polish punk uh your polka there for uh, officers of honest, but you didn't, couldn't that was, find that any. was the old joke in the seventies about the longest bridge in the world. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Africa to <laughs> Poland. Poland. <laughs> yep, I remember <laughs> many times. North as a kid. East, Northeast has changed so much in the last few years. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It has. it has indeed. It's the kinda old. like what Uptown was in the eighties. It's where all the young kids because yep. they could you know, they used to be able to afford to live in Uptown and until us older people discovered it, and now they're up in the northeast. Side, yeah, so. that's true. It's been a great conversation you guys are having. I'm really glad you did this, Dougie. Yeah, it's fun. I really having fun trying to book interesting people for this uh, show. If you could just stay well, off the mic a little bit about all politicians are assholes, we might be able to encourage a couple more. To I didn't come say in. all. I just still said working on the governor. 9%. I haven't given up on him yet. Oh, the governor Tim Walls. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Well, it'd be interesting to have on. I asked Ryan yeah. Winkler to come on and talk about the marijuana thing, the recreational marijuana. I'm surprised but I heard he didn't back call you back because I talked to him at right after he was on. Uh, for those of uh, the listeners that might not know, he was the. A majority speaker of the House in the Minnesota Legislature, and it works. And his precinct is—it's not precinct district—is Golden Valley. So you actually, they're really nice. South job. Golden Valley. Yeah, South Golden Valley. <laughs> all the cool people live. Yeah, we're all the cool people. So Tyrell what? Hill. What is the? I mean, what's the issue with recreational weed in Minnesota? Or in Minnesota? And does the police? Do they give a crap? Ryan Winkler's bringing it forward, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you don't want to police Tom's it, do you? trying to figure out where he can smoke pot and yeah, drive his no, Porsche. It's been a long time. <laughs> I'll drive fast. If I, if I were to light up, it would be the, I'd get pulled yeah. over for going too slow. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm against it, and we, we do what's called a D.C. fly-in once a year. We meet with our with our um, Congress reps out there mm-hmm. and, our, and our senators, and uh, there was a very interesting expert on it out there, and you would never suspect it. 
older black gentleman, and he explained this to all, not really old, my age, I guess, older. It's but older and shit. Um, yeah. you know, oh he explained this, and he said, before they jump into this, you need to look at the cost, and, and they need to look at Colorado. You think Everybody thinks, so we're going to generate all this tax revenue from it. And on the back end, you're spending more out for treatment programs, for oh, things yeah. like that. Um, and we talked about it a little bit when you, you can't gauge, you know, if you're high and driving very easy, what are the effects, those types of things, you know, news channels have done things on it. But um, I would like for this guy to come and talk with our legislature before they do this because there's a lot of hidden costs that they don't realize that far surpass what they gain in tax benefits. Well, that's um, interesting because all it, you ever hear is that, you know, big money, Colorado's right? just big rolling money, in money and big money. Yeah. And and we don't know the long-term effects down the line. You know, for if if we're keeping everybody right. smoked in the 40s, right? Yeah. 50s. Yeah. Um and then tell we hey, lung cancer, you know, like smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. causes cancer. So, but it's going to be okay to smoke marijuana. I realize you can take it other ways and things like that, but there's health effects, alcohol, you know. If but from a police standpoint, what, I mean, you don't want to be resting. I mean, it's a pain in the butt to take someone down who's got a quarter is, ounce of weed on them or something. reality is right now the coppers are taking that and flushing it in the sewer. On uh, and they're okay. not, they're, those little things like that, they're not, Sarah's, they're, uh, they're pretty much uncle, My way. wife's uncle was a St. Paul cop, and he just would take it and take it home. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell well, you. Now fun, you just uh, ratted him. No, I, yeah. I tell you a funny story I about him. So, yeah, he's retired. retired. He's probably, I'm guessing, he's 70 or so. So he was a Vietnam vet, came back, and he wanted to get in to be a St. Paul cop, but something happened, and he had to wait seven years before he could apply. And so his older brother is in town, and we're having this conversation, and 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 my wife works at a church and says, you know, so. Uncle Bruce, how come how come he had to wait so long? And his older brother goes, "Yeah, it was a farming accident," and they didn't understand what he was saying. You had a pot farm out in Marine in the same uh-huh. Troy. Whoops! <laughs> oh, a farming accident. <laughs> yeah, that's really really I, nice. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the whole the whole thing about recreational um, marijuana being passed is the good thing about it would be maybe we could get rid of these cartels. That are killing people in other countries, you know, that are supplying. Well, no, the no, US. no. They make them movie stars now. <laughs> El Chapo's wife is like a TV that star. Disgusting. That would be the one uh, one good what? thing. But I don't believe I, at until they can figure out how to test for it when people are driving. So are you? So are you opposed sense. to the uh, medical side? You know, the medical side's out there already. Um, yeah. I. Hey, to be honest, I've never been a pothead at all. So right. we can change that. All. I just kind of see it as uh, it's dummy and down society for votes. That's the way I look at it, but maybe that's a close point of view. Um, our, our cops as a whole are not really in favor. They're not like the enforcing it, but I think a lot of them, they think about their kids. Do they want? Do you want to walk down the street and have people firing up all the time? It's, it's bad enough. Like um, they have yeah. been in yeah. Manhattan yeah. for exactly. the last 30 years. No, but I, I mean, there's part of me that goes, I'd rather have my kids stoned than drunk. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't want them driving either way, but I think we're at less risk, certainly, from smoking pot. Cell phones, in my world, are maybe more dangerous than I would oh, agree. Yeah. We. I would agree. Yeah. And yes. so yes. that's a... Yeah, I, I don't know. I think as your general cop is mainly against it, but more uh, along, indifferent to against it, I think, if you polled my members, you know. Interesting. So i got to ask you a couple of questions. This is, this is all personal now. You don't mind if I take a personal <laughs> <laughs> Well, 
Don't I, ask about my wife. No, I'm not going to ask about your wife. No, 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 no. I, I'm just, uh, it just popped in my head being over at Maeslacks back oh, in the yeah. day with the boys, Tony Miranda, and you keep getting John Locke, and you go on a. Where are all those guys? Now? Those guys, I, well, I when, John up at the. Uh, they're all in treatment, the, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> those were some good times. That was a, oh, one of the God, favorite times of my career. Our federation, in fact, I, when, I got a two o'clock board meeting today and a five thirty <laughs> membership meeting, and with those boys, the board meeting would be over about three or four, and then we go to Zerbies or oh, Maze yeah. oh, yeah. and then we come back and hold the membership meeting, and, and then we go back for more. <laughs> and God, we used to fun, get together man. with Tom from time to time at Mazelax, but. Uh, Hammer, John Locke. Um, I still hear from him all the time. Hey, good job, babe. Heard John on the radio. You know, he'll, he'll <laughs> yeah, he's the up. best. I, um, John's a great he, he North Side a, well, guy. And the truth told, I owe my job to these guys. Uh, John was a he taught defensive tactics when I came on. I got in a little trouble in rookie school, maybe bar re- fight related, and he's like he'd reached out. Hey, forget you know this kid. He's one of our good guys. And blah blah blah. Oh so, yeah. Um, <clears throat> John, uh, he's still local. I hear from him a lot. Yeah, I ran um, into him about a Al Berryman's got three homes. He was Al Berryman's got three, three <laughs> he homes. He was the old Federation president, you know. But what the hell did he get money for three in, homes? He's he was the Federation president. Right. And he's down in Arizona. He's mainly in Arizona. Every time he comes oh, he? back in, um, he gets a hold of us. Tony and I. Tony and Ryan is still local. Oh, um, please. If so next time those guys get together, for sure. I would love to Tony, see him. He, I, well, I got Tony's you. a great guy. We'll make, we'll make sure we get a hold of you. because God, it was so much Tony's fun. a wonderful guy. He was the nucleus of that federation for many years. Yeah, he was. Time yeah, in he there. was, absolutely. Um, when, when Al comes to town, which is a few times a year, we always get together. Yeah, Al so. Is May Slack still around? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it? Tom still has garlic breath from it. He hasn't been there for 20 years. Oh, ouch. That's right. Oh my God! Seriously, he'd get out of his car, and I could. Yeah, it was like, oh, he's been to Maeslack. I could smell the garlic. No, it's his it's, a, it's a hipster away. hangout now. Oh, it's is really it really? Is it really? So is Zerbies now. It's called Grumpy's. Zerbies has changed. It's Grumpy's and Northeast has really gotten to turn into hipster stuff. Oh, it used to be the real blue collar. All around, you could throw a rock in any direction and walk to a bar out of my union office, but. One of my favorite things about being a teenage guy in North Minneapolis, you'd be up at Papa Joe's Northern or at the Broadway Bar, and you'd be sitting there, and the cops would come in. A couple of cops would come in, and they go, put them on the desk. they put them on the table. And everybody take out a knife or a gun and put it on the table, <laughs> and they'd get whatever they were, like a pizza or a sandwich, yeah. or whatever they were going to go. All right, boys, they'd leave. Everybody take their gun, put it back in their pocket. <laughs> Probably <laughs> Halleck's up there. That, oh, that Alex. Locke oh, yeah. and Murphy worked together forever. Yeah, uh, they did. On the tax squad or SWAT guys. and yeah. I heard so many great stories. I, one of my favorite stories up there, and I'm sorry. I'll shut no, up. Go ahead. I promise. I, I'm so not mad. The boys get a call, and they, they go up to Northside, and somebody's been shot to death, right? <laughs> Sarge comes in the room, and he goes, Everybody, get the hell out of here. Because everybody was sitting around like in a, in the family. They're sitting around with a, a dead guy, right? And so there's a guy on the couch. He's like sleeping. He's like, like that, right? And Sarge goes, what the hell did I tell you? And the guy didn't respond. He goes, I said you got to go. And one of the other cops comes up and goes, actually, uh, he's the victim. The bullet went in his mouth and came oh. out the back of his head. 
God. And the copper turns and goes, okay, you can stay. Yeah. <laughs> was that, was it Sarge Lurch? Yes. Jerry, Lurch Larson? It was indeed. You know, How did Jerry, you know Jerry that? Jerry passed, because he, 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 he was did. on the board, too. He passed. Oh. It'll be two years, I think, this spring. But there, I'm this, sorry to hear I was that. thinking about him on the way on the way in this morning, knowing I was coming here. Because That's I, who it was. He was the vice president <laughs> of the Phenomenal. Federation at the time. And he this guy, I've been to Vegas many times. And to this day, the first time I was in Vegas was with him, and it was the best time I ever had. Oh, my I left, God. He's I left dead. there after three days, oh. and my face muscles were sore from laughing. This guy had he had a line for everybody. But he was, a, he was an icon. He a four-way a, stop. I heard this from another cop. Uh, <laughs> pulls him over. And he goes, will you stop me for? He goes, because you, you rolled through the, the stop sign. You didn't stop at a stop sign. He goes, well, I slowed down. And Lurch goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get out of the car. I'm going to start beating the piss out of you. You can tell me to slow down or stop. <laughs> yeah, he was the classic. Was he was great. Why was he called Lurch? Did he look like Lurch he from looked the like Adam? Lurch. He looked like Lurch, yeah. Sounded like him. Sergeant, oh, Wonder, Sergeant, Sergeant Wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Sergeant Wonderful, baby. God, that Jerry worked, worked hard and played hard, and that was he, <laughs> that, did, yes. he kept playing after he retired a little too hard. That was yeah, mm-hmm. he kind of shrunk down. Uh, I God. saw him, awesome. I saw him in the hospital before he passed. Oh, did you yeah. really? Yeah, he was. God, just, he, he was, was a wonderful guy. He was Sergeant he Wonderful was. for a reason. Sergeant Wonderful for a reason. Another one that say him and Locke were two of the guys <laughs> that were in DT that saved my saved my hide as a rookie. Locke <laughs> was another guy that if you were a citizen, you probably didn't want to piss him off. No. Not no, that I no, can remember no. anyway. <laughs> I guess that he was a north side guy from up on Sheridan. I believe he grew up on Sheridan Avenue up there. But, yeah, yeah I mean, th- th- Bob, the great memories and how we all got along. And everybody, like I said, didn't matter race. None of it mattered. Everybody got along. Everybody was fine. So when I left that neighborhood, actually, you know, it, 24, 25, whatever I was. And I went out in the real world, and they were talking about, oh, my God, race relations are terrible. I go, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. How are race relations terrible? Not where I grew up. It's the Norwegians and the Swedes. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Well, they actually do I hate one another. Either. That is true. They do hate one another. But now, I, I tell you, because the cops in North Minneapolis yeah, understood good. North Minneapolis, the firefighters, all, everybody, well, Rocco Forte, I, you know, I went to I went to St. Rocco was the the fire chief, and his older brother Michael and I were in the same class at. at you know, his dad was an organ grinder. Did you know? That? <laughs> wow. Yes, his dad. Honestly, God, Rocco Forte was a fire chief. His dad was an organ grinder. He had the big mustache, and he had the thing with the monkey and the whole oh, deal. Wow. Nice Italian boy from North Minneapolis. I just Minneapolis. think that was a job once upon a time. Being an organ grinder, yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh God, I got to shut up because you only got a couple minutes. No, keep going. Why? No, I, I just, what I'm talking about is we had a relationship with the cops. The cops cared. We cared. And I never understood once I left my neighborhood, why did all this happen out here? Because back in our, the poorest neighborhood, the worst neighborhood in Minnesota, everybody gets along really well. It's just yeah. weird. Yeah. The whole thing is just, it should have never happened. And I really wish they'd get their head out of their ass and let the cops do their job. That's all I'm saying. Before we're off, i got to thank Doug for the relationship because the reason he reached out to me is they sponsor the Federation in our mm-hmm. stuff to Slade yeah. Drive. Walzer yeah. does. And that's how we met um, one of our charitable arms. We Walzer, in conjunction with KSTP5, and it's, on, it's going yeah. on right now. Our, <clears throat> yep, it's our coppers are in the Skyway in downtown collecting toys for kids. Now, i got to so. just be completely clear. We they dropped that last year. Oh, Somebody geez. in our marketing department, I don't know who it was. but They, they dropped said, it? 
Uh, it's a long story. Right. Could you arrest Paul for me? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Arrest <laughs> Paul Walzer. We, we did it for years. Yeah, yeah. we did it for years. That's how we got it. We did. So absolutely, it's a great, so great charity. It continues on, but. But thanks for and I didn't so know I'm not that charitable. I'm not the most. Somebody charitable. came to me and I won't say who it was uh, a couple months ago and says, "Hey, that whole stuff the sleigh thing. Can you get us back in there again?" And so I called. I know some people over at Hubbard, and they're like, "You know, there's a different title sponsor, and they're going to do it again this oh, year." It's like, okay, oh. well, we're underway, but I appreciate what you guys have done. For well, me. thank you very much. And for those have. that don't know, it's a toy drive that the uh, cops sponsor uh, toys for needy kids in the cities, and it's uh, it's really Really, really, it's a great thing, and it is that time of the year again. Do they need to be new? I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. This is always how much don't, I know. Don't be, don't I got a charitable arm. I, 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 no, I, I know the there's some. In trouble, these guys. No, there's some toy drives. That we're gonna get rid of some toys before Christmas when we to get make room. toys. Yeah, and we don't have many toys anyway, but. I know there are some places that take used toys. Yeah, so just... try the, you know, like the mean streets of Edina. They're yeah, probably open Edina. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to close right. with an Al Berriman story, my last thing. Okay. So uh, there was a copper many, many years ago, tried to save his wife from a car fire. Uh, she's in a van, and it exploded, and, the, and her husband, the cop, went in to save her, and he got severely mm. burned. Uh, we were down at... Um, uh, the Nicollet Island Pavilion. Pavilion. They, had, okay. they, had, they had a fundraiser down there. Remember that? And so they're raising funds, and Al Behrman comes up to me and goes, Tom, would you do me a favor? Because there's this really cool pistol, and if you could buy it, you know, because it would be really, really great. And I said, yeah, no problem at all. So it goes up, and it's it, the, the pistol goes for like a few thousand dollars, probably even more than that. And I bought it. And then I gave it back to Al, and I said, well, just go ahead and auction it off again. He goes, yeah, I know. I said, what do you mean you know? He goes, I knew you'd give it back. That's why you wanted to buy it. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Al. Talk Thanks, about Al. Right? Remember that? Al had a way of, uh, he he had a way of raising charitable Oh, funds. he was good at it. Yeah. Pictures in his office had been raffled every year after year. <laughs> year oh, after yeah. year raffled year off. After year. Never had to give them up. Uh, Bob, thanks for coming in. Great to see you as always. Pleasure. Thanks for always having me, guys. Well, uh, that wraps up episode, I think, 32 or 3 of 32, Walter's yeah. Car Selling Secrets. I, the podcast is not happening next week, so no, all the mm-hmm. listeners get a lucky week off. <laughs> oh, you mean you, you don't have car selling secrets on Thanksgiving Day? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can post the best of. No, well, the best of would be Tom's. That's the ones that I get the most compliments about. Yeah, that is true. It was a great thing. And thank you so much, Tom. How sweet of you to bring in. I mean, this is th- this nice. means the world to me. He brought in Gene Shepard. So you like him. that better than the shirt that no, Tom brought I, I was got, It doesn't mean the you, world to you. You know, once again, <laughs> once again, I hope... Hold up, I want to thank him. Not only go to thank him, but Doug has to piss all over it. So never mind. Goodbye. That's my job. And we're out. That's my job.